Fat guy, jack guy, two wacky goofballs talking about stuff. Fat guy, jack guy, two wacky goofballs talking about stuff. Two biological brothers talking about stuff. Welcome to Fat Guy, Jack Guy. Today we're checking your pay stubs and we're making you come to meetings that could have been emails. Absolutely. I'm Steph Rubino. I'm Brendan Walsh. (laughs) Before we get into (laughs) bullshit jobs, which is a vast, sprawling category that kind of describes 90% of our entire workforce. Pretty much. Let's talk about our real job, which is getting you to sign up for the Patreon (laughs) Um, you Damn, can go that to, was so thank slick. you, thank you, <laughs> patreon.com backslash fatguyjackguy for as little as $3 a month. You can get all the sweet, sweet bonus content that our patrons enjoy. If you're already a patron, we love you. Thanks so much. Tell your friends because we want to stop working in bullshit jobs and do this full time. Tell your friends. That's Tell it. your fucking <laughs> friends. <laughs> That's our threat. It's so easy. Yeah, it's it's great. Anyways, yes, please support us on Patreon. We really appreciate any and all help that you can give us. Anyway, let's get into this world-famous Fat Guy, Jack Guy preamble. You may or may not know, Steph and I are feeling pretty uh, burnt out (laughs) from our job, which I don't want to call a bullshit job because the, the labor is important, but there are elements of any job now that feel a lot like bullshit. We're indoctrinated into the cult of work before we know what a fucking job is. As early as preschool, and probably before that now, we're given tasks to perform with no inherent value. (laughs) Some of what we do as children is play, which is great. Play is really important for developing your mind and just enjoying your life generally. But there's a lot of other stuff that you were given as kids that's task-based Mm-hmm. We're told to make puzzles and build stuff with blocks, and now preschoolers are, like, assessed on that kind of shit. <laughs> We're taught to mimic labor early so that the upcoming years of mimic labor as an adult <laughs> don't feel as ridiculous. By age six, we're expected to spend an entire day performing tasks. Some of them are necessary, like learning the basics of literacy and math and collaboration and cooperation, But many of these tasks are just to occupy our time because our parents are at their (laughs) bullshit jobs. We're taught that our time needs to be structured in order to participate in the spoils of society. You need to be in a constant state of busyness, or at the very least, you need to pretend to be busy. Except during recess and lunch, sort of, your time is determined by an arbitrary bell that brings you between tasks. (laughs) I really, when I wrote this, I was feeling a type of way, and I'm going. Yeah, you're going in right now. Yeah. No, but it's necessary. It's necessary. Thank you. In this, we're becoming little laborers. Education is vital, (laughs) but education doesn't have to, nor should it, look the same as work. But our education system isn't just about education. It's about bringing kids under the umbrella of citizenship, which... Seems like a noble goal, but what does citizenship actually look like in our society? For most adults, it means performing whatever task you need to perform to earn enough money to live, regardless of that task's benefit or harm to society. Our schools are filled with arbitrary processes and numerations. Kids take dozens of standardized tests with no application to their education or personal fulfillment. These tests are used to quantify performance based on metrics that nobody except the test makers and lawmakers give a shit about. Mm -hmm. Then, if kids are lucky enough, they study and pay for a few tests that they fucking hate. I'm talking about the SAT and the ACT, administered by a powerful company for the benefit of no one except the company and overworked admissions departments that need to create like a barrier to inclusion to their university. Mm -hmm. All the while... Students are learning that they must contend with punishing bureaucracy in order to do things that they don't even like. (laughs) (laughs) Bleak? So true. (laughs) 
when it's students, bleak, but it's, this is the this is just the reality of it. I mean, if you look at it for two seconds, it's pretty clear. When students get into college, they sometimes get a dose of an academic life with purpose. The much maligned liberal arts degree provides an outlet for intellectual curiosity, and a passionate learner could take advantage of the beauty of the imagined existence of the examined life. This, however, does not last long. In the job market, the lucky graduates who don't end up working shit jobs are often slotted into one of a variety of careers that provides nothing to the collective. They learn that much of their time isn't spent in useful labor or creation, but in killing time until the workday ends. Yep. In demonstrating that most important skill, appearing busy, and those that work some admin jobs where they feel busy most likely perform redundant tasks unnecessary to the function of organizations. <laughs> <laughs> this is my essay. <laughs> You I'm know, not even interrupting. No, this is also good. I, I have nothing it. to add. Thank you, brother. It's great. Yeah, I must. I probably wrote this at work. <laughs> <laughs> at one of at work during one of the hours where we could be doing something else. Yes, exactly. Because we have to work eight hours a day, even though we teach for four. Yes, exactly. Yes. You just have to be there because you have to be under the guise of like you know yeah. your job. Mm-hmm. In my first job outside of teaching, which was a university admin position, I learned very quickly (laughs) that my job was absurd. I had my own office and I started my day by checking emails for 30 minutes and then thinking about when I could leave for the next (laughs) seven and a half hours. The actual duties of my uh, past job could have been performed in 45 minutes per day from home. I spent 45 hours per week there. I received bonuses based on almost nothing. (laughs) I knew the names of six different forms. (laughs) The purpose of each form could have been condensed into one form, but that would mean removing five different offices from the process of completing forms. (laughs) I wouldn't have had to schedule five-minute meetings with secretaries of various deans and upper admins if I didn't have those other forms. I even created a few forms. They were just Word documents Damn, on my you computer. Gave in. <laughs> you came up. I had to create a form. And once I cre- once I printed it out, it, it, this magic spell happened, and then they were like real. Yeah. I had to get things notarized regularly. Ugh. That took a huge portion of time. <laughs> I had a bullshit job, but to people who believe in the myth of the goodness of work, I was doing very well. I was awesome. I had the trappings of the professional class. I had business cards. I had a title that sounded impressive, (laughs) an office that I could retreat to, shut the door, and tell my front desk person, I've got something I really need to focus on. (laughs) I spent many hours writing poems and submitting manuscripts to publishers. As one does. I actually wrote two collections of poetry at my job, (laughs) but I spent little time doing work and still did everything I needed to do and still was praised for the job. Right. And I don't think I'm exceptional in this. I don't think I, I was exceptionally skilled at this labor that I was doing. It's just that my job and most of the other jobs surrounding me didn't really need to exist. Right. right. They wasn't were created. It, wasn't it like James Dickey that he like wrote Deliverance at his like bullshit job? That, that wouldn't he had? surprise me. And at that all. was a long time ago, yeah. so bullshit jobs. They've been around forever. <laughs> yeah. So the question I had is like, why did I need to be there? I think our laptop jobby and friends probably know this very well, although many would not like to admit it because that yeah. that falls into the, you know, the sacred cow of saying that your work is meaningless, which most of it is. Yeah, a lot of it is. Most remote work falls into the bullshit job category. But I'm also, sorry, guys. I think it's like okay to say that your job is bullshit. You should feel you should okay to feel say. Feel okay it. to say that. At least you can admit it to to us. Yeah, you can tell us. Because <laughs> we'll be like, yeah, milk yeah. that for all it's worth. Yeah, I'm not mad at you. Don't stop milking it. The only reason we don't like laptop <laughs> jobians is because we want to be them. Because we're jealous. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have real jobs and it sucks. So we're so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because. The thing about bullshit jobs, and I'll talk about David Graeber's bullshit jobs, which is sort of the thing that necessitated this entire thing. Bullshit jobs exist for the function of, like, creating more labor and sort of 
making people think that labor is valuable to begin with, the world would function perfectly fine without most laptop jobs and without most administrative jobs generally. Food, energy, and culture could still exist <laughs> without people sending emails and filling out <laughs> forms. I promise you that. And there's a lot that I'm going to talk about here before I even get to like the bullshit jobs thing because you fall down this rabbit hole, which is really great. But brother, have you ever had a classically bullshit job? You've been teaching for a long time. Gosh, so. I've been teaching for so long. I guess my job in publishing was kind of a bullshit job because mm. you could you could really, although the only thing was is that you had to log what you were doing for. I hate that yeah. shit. Yeah, so that was the only thing that sucked. But we, I, there was a guy who I worked with there and he was like, yeah, I just say it takes me two hours. Yep. <laughs> when it really takes me a half hour to mm -hmm. do this one task. So he, he taught me how to like cheat the, yeah. the logging system. I was only 20, 22, yeah. you know, so I didn't know how to like fuck around like i had only worked in like <laughs> customer service yeah, and stuff before that shit. you know retail so i didn't really know how to fuck around like that so he taught me how to like log stuff so that it looked like i was doing more but i really wasn't <laughs> taught you how to and lie. He, taught, he like also taught me how to like cut corners so i could like leave work early which i did often mm -hmm. i would go in early and leave at like 1 30 oh, skip nice. my lunch quote unquote but i really didn't skip my lunch because i was just like logging yeah extra time <laughs> so and you did the work yeah i still did my, i got so much stuff done i was very productive i was also praised for my productivity mm -hmm. but it's just that it didn't take me that long to do it yeah so i didn't need to be sitting there doing it you know what i mean it's ridiculous so i guess that's the most bullshit job that i've ever had because like i said i yeah i worked like front-facing retail and stuff mm -hmm. for so long and i've been teaching now this is my 11th year so yeah yeah you've had like jobs that you are required to do things yeah at. i have to like be in front of but i do think again you know you kind of mentioned this already but I do think that there are parts of teaching that take up my time that sh I shouldn't have to do. Agreed. Yeah, there and are that, parts of teaching that are bullshit. Like, I feel like half, no, like three quarters of teaching is real. Like, that is like a real job. It's an important job. You're with the kids. You're planning lessons. Like, that's all important. The other quarter, like, you could completely do away with, which is just like emailing parents, even though they have access to the grade book. <laughs> <laughs> And also just like filling out forms and doing trainings and things like that, that mm -hmm. you don't, trainings for stuff you don't need. So like all of that quarter could be completely wiped away and it would be much better, much easier to work. Yeah. One of the great paradoxes of this whole bullshit job thing is that capitalism, right? Yes. is supposed to be about efficiency, it is. right? Yes, and removing redundancies. Said. And yet, as it our... It replicates redundancies is what it does. Oh my God, yeah. the whole thing. Absolutely. Like That's it one of the biggest problems with it. Creates more bullshit yeah. labor. And that labor... So the differentiation that um, Graber makes is you have shit jobs and bullshit jobs. A yeah. shit job would be your retail job. Yeah. The restaurant jobs and landscaping jobs that yeah. I worked um, when I was younger. Those jobs actually do things, but they're poorly paid and underappreciated yes. by society. Yes. Whereas bullshit jobs are like the guy... The business analyst yes. who looks at a spreadsheet. For two for twenty minutes and then like that's it. Yeah. It and gets goes on like a five hour lunch. Hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of theories about why labor looks the way that it looks. Part two is the John Maynard Keynes diversion. Mm -hmm. Okay. I know this guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> a quote that answers. This is really for the listeners yeah. this episode. <laughs> yeah, this isn't for I'm not teaching you anything new. <laughs> This is for the future patrons. Yes, that's future right, patrons, folks. That's right. Always be closing. <laughs> ABC. Yeah. A quote that anti-work lovers often tout is attributed to John Maynard Keynes, the famous British economist who spearheaded the movement in the post-depression West towards government policy influencing free markets. That's the classic sort of like free market liberalism mm -hmm. that we all, you know, have these days. <laughs> Keynes advocated the use of fiscal and monetary policies to mitigate the adverse effects of economic recessions and depressions. Mm -hmm. So you can credit Keynes with pretty much any sort of free market liberalism that you enjoy in your uh, Western life. <laughs> you enjoy? Yeah, that you enjoy here. And that Sounds so is, sad. Benefits, you know, everyone. Benefits no one. Yeah. Keynes was a member of the UK's Liberal Party all of his life, and he was virulently anti-communist. I don't fault him for that, 
Because when you see what his vision of capitalist progress was, it looks a lot like a leftist dream. He was also queer, so, you know, everyone's gay and everything yeah, is gay. Having had many male lovers in his youth. We don't claim people like this. We don't, <laughs> we don't claim anti-communists. Give Keynes a break. <laughs> we don't claim anti-communists. <laughs> and he married a woman, but, but he was queer. Uh, he once said that his only regret in life was that he didn't drink more champagne. Wow. But ironically, he worked too hard and, that and too long. Gay. And he pretty much, yeah, I know, he was like super gay. And he died essentially of like overwork in his okay. life. So this was a guy who hated work, but was a workaholic as well. Keynes saw that work was a means to some end. Mainly, the end should be that we should eventually work less. Specifically, he predicted that by 2030, folks, that's seven years away, we would be working about 15 hours per week because our needs would be met. This theory flies in the face of diehard capitalists who try very hard <laughs> to limit leisure time among workers. And when they do allow leisure time, it's always with some caveats, right? Yeah. Keynes's prediction came around a time when socialists, anarchists, and striking workers had won the right to only work eight hours per day. Mm -hmm. He was a capitalist but mostly because he believed that capitalist markets were the best avenue to provide society's needs. And to get to this quote, so he, this 1930 essay, Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren, <laughs> which sounds a lot like a Ron DeSantis-like yes, <laughs> like law, the Stop Woke Act, Stop just woke. to remind you guys, <laughs> that means wrongs, wrongs against, against our, our kids, kids and employees. And employees. <laughs> what a loser. This essay... <laughs> predicted that a future without job toils since we would have figured out the major issues that prevented worldwide affluence. So he's oh. like, man, mm. in, in by... Interesting. So he wrote it in 1930. So by 2030, he's saying 100 years in the future, capitalism will have solved all of our problems mm. and we would be working 15 hours. So here's this famous quote. Thus, for the first time since his creation, man will be faced with his real his permanent problem, how to use his freedom from pressing economic cares, how to occupy the leisure which science and compound interest will have won for him to live wisely and agreeably and well. So he's saying, hey, the real problem is what the hell are we going to do with all this free time? <laughs> it's too bad he wasn't right. It was so <laughs> wrong. He was way off. Because uh, what a great problem to have looking at it in the way that we have it now, yeah. right? Is that most of our time is spent worrying about these economic issues that he said capitalism and compound yes. interest would have solved. Yes. Rather than compound interest creating essentially a huge wealth gap and imprisoning many other people in yep. poverty and wage yep. slavery. Yeah, the great tragedy is that Keynes was completely wrong. <laughs> Rather than using our in incredible technological advancements to free ourselves from unnecessary labor, we've decided to work more. Mm -hmm. Some of Keynes's ideas from the essay were accurate. Healthcare and technology have advanced, and we are much better at producing shit and curing and treating diseases. We're way better at that shit now. Well, yeah. You know, we've advanced. <laughs> The thesis of the essay but we was off. So though. much garbage. Yeah, we, we, we don't produce the we're necessary things yeah, as much. We're better at producing, but it's all garbage. Yeah, he did not take into account that capitalism moves towards continuous growth in all sectors, right. not just the necessary sectors for survival. Right. So continuous growth in all sectors requires continuous labor, regardless of whether that label is a, labor is essential to societal function. He miscalculated. He a miscalculated little bit. a little bit, but this is like. I don't even think you see this kind of capitalist. You probably do in like conservative, like smart yeah. spaces where they're like, oh, capitalism is the means to like, you know, freeing everyone yeah. from oppression. And this kind of guy doesn't exist as much as like the kind of guy that thinks that, you know, Nancy Pelosi is going to, you know, rape your grandkid yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Th these guys are kind of gone now. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I mean, how can you... But how can they even be here? It doesn't even... It doesn't make sense. No. They don't have... They don't stand a chance. We... Now we do just produce a bunch of garbage. In 1930, we were just kind of starting that, yeah. but not The so consumer much. economy yeah. wasn't like it is it now. It wasn't like it is... Not until like the 50s was mm -hmm. it... Is, was it getting to where it is right now? Yeah. So, yeah, like... 
we didn't ha- he didn't have to even think about the prospect of us just producing endless garbage mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, and that's like the basis for the economy yeah. is the endless garbage yeah. cycle. Yeah, like you and I were talking about when we were both buying new TVs, when we both had to buy new TVs, yeah. we were like, why isn't there just like one TV? That is and good. And we just, it's good. <laughs> we all buy it. And then like, that's the end of it. Yeah. You know? Should be like that. It should be like that. But then you can't necessitate the TV manufacturer. Right. The There's stores that so sell the many, TVs. Yeah. So we were like, that just, it just doesn't ha- make any sense to have all of this shit, but we do because choice, I guess. Yeah. Choice. Choice. Student voice and choice. Student voice and choice, which we are the little, students of capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little teacher talk for you. <laughs> We've also transformed what Keynes would describe as leisure into arms of production. Yeah. Your hobbies, passions, and free time <laughs> must become grifts if you were to have value in our marketplace. Yep. Keynes was wrong, not because his prediction wasn't sound, but because he misunderstood the fundamental political landscape that necessitates capitalism. Mm -hmm. Workers must have less power, less time, but more responsibility. Mm -hmm. The late 70s in the U.S. saw the backlash to worker gains of the previous half of the 20th century. Bosses got more control, and Ronald Reagan, who's like the ultimate boss, oversaw a dissection of labor rights in the name of freedom. Okay, girl boss, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> he really was like the ultimate boss. Yeah, he's such a boss. He's the king of bullshit jobs. Oh my god, Ronald dude. Reagan. Yeah, you just you know go he's in the there. He's the ultimate admin. I mean, he, he is in a sense as being like president, but also yeah. just like in general, he's the ultimate admin Seriously. of our world. Dude, what a piece of shit. An absolute piece of shit. God. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, that's Keynes for you. He was hopeful, I guess. He was hopeful. I mean, I get it. You want to, you know, you're like, you see yourself stuck in a system and you're like, I got to theorize my way around the system Mm -hmm. instead of just being like, no, this system, I understand these types of theorists where they're like, yeah, I have to theorize a way to, like, make shit work within the system, mm-hmm. as opposed to suggesting we should just destroy it and do something else. Yeah. Because this latter option is so much scarier mm-hmm. than the former. Yeah. And this was, like, in the UK at a time of virulent anti-communism. Totally, like, yeah. the idea that his... Yeah. That his vision of the future could align with lefty shit... Yeah is so beyond the realm of possibility for a guy like this. Right. Because he's like, oh, Soviets, they're bad, bad, but the thing that I want is also what the Soviets want. Right. Which is less work, more leisure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's very strange. And also just working when it's necessary as opposed to working all the time. Yeah. Or just like working to keep to prop up some which is what we're doing most of the time in capitalism we're just working to prop up the system yes <laughs> as opposed to like work f- to make the rest of us better which is what would happen in like a communist system yeah i mean the system is so fragile that's the thing that people fail to realize about this consumer capitalism that we have this thing falls apart all the time yeah. what do you think a recession Constantly. is it's falling apart yeah. it's falling apart right now yeah what do you think poverty is that's the system falling apart we're not even 50 yet <laughs> and we have already seen <laughs> what three recessions three recessions yeah yeah and plenty more to come right as the system becomes even more and more fragile and yet we cannot like hope our way out of destroying consumer capitalism no. yeah because at the end of the day to segue into part three the thing that we have to have is a bullshit job in order to merely survive. Right. So here's part three. Here we go. Let's talk about David Graeber, D. Graves. R.I.P. to a legend, Seriously, bro. to a real one. We didn't get an R.I.P. for John Maynard Keynes. <laughs> he doesn't get one. <laughs> so David Graeber was an American anthropologist and anarchist activist who's one of the premier left-wing thinkers of our time. He died in 2020 of necrotic pancreatitis, which his wife attributed to COVID complications. Mm. Graeber wrote... That I didn't know that yeah. she said it was because of COVID. Yeah, okay. it's, it's unfortunate. Wow. He wrote several books and pamphlets, including Debt, The First 5,000 Years, and Fragments of an Anarchist and Anthropology, and of course, what we'll talk about today, Bullshit Jobs. 
He was a leading voice in the Occupy Wall Street movement, and he is credited with coining the phrase, we are the 99%. Yeah. That's Graves. I didn't know that Graeber conducted ethnographic fieldwork in Madagascar with anthropologist Marshall Solins, who I really love. Solins is famous for introducing the theory of the original affluent society in 1966. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what the original affluent society is, it was this theory that Solins developed that hunter-gatherers who satisfied all of their material needs with the least amount of labor were the original affluent society because he talked about affluence in a different way. It wasn't about having as much. Yeah, Yeah. it wasn't about having the most stuff. It was about satisfying your needs with the least amount of labor. This is an opposition to contemporary industrial societies which (laughs) desire much and therefore must work a whole lot to obtain what they want. Solins' theory is all over Graeber's work because the original affluent society theory directly opposes the need for a work hard culture. It's the opposite. The key, according to Solins, was to work as little as possible to have the things you need. Then you can spend the rest of your time doing stuff you actually like or want to do. It doesn't say that- It's not a big deal. No, it's really not a bad thing. (laughs) Why is that bad? Every time we talk about this, I can't help. Yeah, I know. It wants to like burst out of me. Like, <laughs> why are we doing this right now? It's like not a big deal. Seems obvious, doesn't it's just it? So fucking stupid. Yeah. So it's all about you know working as a means to get the things that you need in order to survive, so that you can spend the rest of your time doing what you want. Whatever to do. you want to do: art, reading. Mm-hmm. Basketball. Hanging out with your Hanging friends. Hanging out with your friends. <laughs> Basketball. Shoot some hoops Distilling with your buddies. Distilling alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> just think of hobbies. Yeah, just hobbies. Knitting. Why not? <laughs> and you'd also have to... So simple. You'd have to be truly passionate about these things because in a world without consumer capitalism, you'd have to like build things and develop things, yeah. right? You'd, none of this would be about laziness, which I think is the immediate sort right. of contemporary capitalist assumption oh, you just, you're just lazy and you don't want to work? It's like, no, I just want to work at the things I like. Right. right. Rather than the things that I don't like. Right. Right. That I'm obligated to <laughs> right. do. Sucks. I say this all the time. I'm like, if I just had to work 15 hours a week doing something for the... For the... Collective? Collective. Like, yeah, for the collective good of my community, I would not complain. Not one single time. No. Because the rest of the week would be mine. Mm-hmm. To write and do whatever the hell I wanted. Yeah, that'd be nice, right? It's so simple. There'd be so much more hanging out with your buddies. There's enough people. Yeah, for real. (laughs) There's enough people. And also, hanging out with your buddies just, you know, facilitates the exchange of ideas to do, like, newer and cooler stuff. Mm -hmm. Who knows what we would have solved by now. Oh, sure, yeah. If we had that leisure time to, like, just hang out and talk to people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it just, it's very strange that people are like, yeah, you're lazy. It's like, no, I'm willing. (laughs) Yeah, I just don't like this I just don't want to work for... 50 hours a week. Billionaires are lazy, but anyway. They are. They're the laziest. Let's talk about bullshit jobs. Let's Let's, do it. let's get down to this theory that Graeber identified. So this is what he said in an interview uh, with Vox in describing bullshit jobs. This is David Graeber. Bullshit jobs are jobs which even the person doing the job can't really justify <laughs> the existence of. But they have to pretend that there's some reason for it to exist. That's the bullshit element. A lot of people confuse bullshit jobs and shit jobs, but they're not the same thing. Bad jobs are bad because they're hard or they have terrible conditions or the pay sucks, but often these jobs are very useful. In fact, in our society, often the more useful the work is, the less they pay you. Whereas bullshit jobs are often highly respected and pay well, but are completely pointless and the people doing them know this. So that's like his sort of long-form definition of what a bullshit job is. Yeah. And that distinction, I think, is important. The distinction between shit jobs and bullshit jobs. Yeah, that is very important. And it kind of sucks because, yes, a lot of shit jobs are also within a framework of bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like, a person who works at a retail job selling fast fashion and like mm-hmm. they're doing real work. You cannot say that that work yeah, isn't yeah. real. No, that's real labor. But it's also propping up a system that ultimately sucks and is bullshit. Right. Right. That's true. All of it is. I mean, every, every job that we have right now technically is doing that. Mm-hmm. Even ours. Yes. So. Big time. Yeah. I, I cre- uh, so I did a little bit of research here. So you could have a shit job working as a produce picker in Florida. Mm-hmm. 
The average wage of a Floridian produce picker is $10 per hour. Mm. You literally... Probably less. You do the, the work. Yeah, not, undocumented people. Documented. Yeah, of course. You, you do the work of bringing humans sustenance. That's food, people. We eat that to survive. <laughs> this is difficult manual labor. And people think you're garbage right, for doing it. they do. Like, people will talk shit about the fact that you exist. Yeah. For doing real work. Yeah. Or... For helping us eat food mm -hmm. that we have to eat yes. to survive. Yeah. Yeah. That, like, seems important to me, but what do I know? However, you could have, if you have a college education, you happen becoming from like a, you know, relatively privileged enough background, you could have some sort of vague administrative laptop <laughs> job that pays you anywhere from $60,000 to $150,000 per mm -hmm. year. I just did a sort of general like, you know, no, that's admin accurate. salary. Yeah. Your work adds no material value to the world because you sit behind a screen, send emails, and work to maintain the mechanism of a company whose goal is most likely profit generation, but you're considered important. <laughs> yep. You're a professional. Yeah, you're a professional. I'm part of the professional class, mm -hmm. okay? So Graeber identifies five distinct types yep. of bullshit jobs. The first type of bullshit job, he calls them flunkies. <laughs> and flunkies exist to make people in power feel better about themselves. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say, before we get into each of these bullshit jobs, I think that there's, like, a lot of wiggle room. Like, I don't necessarily know that these are the best definitions, but this is, like, his identification yeah. based on his theory. Flunkies are receptionists, administrative assistants, door attendants, people whose jobs were created because those in powerful positions in an organization see underlings as badges of prestige. Mm -hmm. So an administrative assistant probably does emails, phone calls, sort of basic admin tasks that that admin... Order shit on Amazon. Yeah, order shit on Amazon for you. <laughs> that admin could do that work. Yeah. But to have that receptionist or that admin assistant makes that person feel like, oh, I'm an admin. I have people under me. I'm and too busy. And also frees them up to have 17 meetings a day. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're going to be sitting in a lot of... <laughs> useless meetings yeah. all day and you need your receptionist yeah, to... Yeah, you need your receptionist to do your little Amazon orders yeah. and make sure the coffee room is stocked. Oh, yeah, you stock that you coffee stock room. You stock that coffee room. Yeah. <laughs> I have a friend who works... I think he's about to leave his job, but works for uh, a tech company in New York City and he is like an office manager. Yeah. And he knows and has known for years that his job is bullshit and he's yeah. just gotten to the point where he can't take it anymore and he's yeah. leaving it. But you can really milk that system. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. If I was getting paid $120,000 yeah. a year, I'd ride it for as long as I needed to like, get, uh, my, get my other work done, like writing and stuff. Like, can you take a poll and test to see if, uh, you know, people are interested in having a Christmas party this year? <laughs> and that's like five weeks. <laughs> five weeks of a poll. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just still synthesizing the data analytics. Yeah, I think it's important, too. Like, I just want to say that. Brendan and I are talking about this and our disdain for it, but would absolutely take advantage of an opportunity yeah. right now. So if you're hiring <laughs> bullshit jobs, we'll take it because we just need a break. We need a little break. <laughs> and we have a lot of things we want to write. It's true. It's true. We have real jobs. Next one is duct tapers. Mm -hmm. Graeber de describes duct tapers as people who solve problems that fix mistakes that contend with unnecessary obstacles rather than address the root issue. So duct tapers would be programmers who repair shoddy code, <laughs> airline desk staff who calm passengers whose bags <laughs> don't arrive. These positions are created because organizations sometimes find it more difficult to fix a problem than to deal with its consequences, yeah. which kind of sounds like a interesting... Uh, allegory for the system itself, it does, right? Yeah. That we would much rather just kind of duct tape over the mm -hmm. problems rather than address the root issues that cause the fucking problems. Yes. So you got people who fix things, but they don't fix the foundation of the house. I just think about this all the time that it must be costing more money to just keep duct taping. As Certainly it does. To, it has to, right? Yeah. I'm not crazy. Yeah, no. <laughs> it definitely just Why bullshit. do we do this? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So duct tapers, that's a job. That's a really huge job. Yeah. And I did a little bit of research. 
And one of the most in-demand jobs right now is business analyst. And huh. this, this is a job that is predicted to be like one of the top jobs of the next 10 years So what does that mean? So. What does it mean to be a business analyst? So essentially what you do is look at, you're either hired as a contractor, you're part of like a company that mm-hmm. does like business consulting and you analyze data of a company and tell them what they're doing wrong and I guess... You fix, you help I, them fix it? I don't know if you help them fix it, but you... But you just tell them what they're doing Yeah, wrong. you're like, oh, there's like a redundancy here or whatever. So essentially they're just looking at issues that could be solved, but um, whether or not those issues are solved is another thing entirely. Not to add to this bleak fest, but <laughs> this is the job that like a quarter of our students is, are going to have. Oh yeah, and it's a job that... I would say a quarter of my friends probably have. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. It's just people who analyze data. Which, I mean, which, I feel like computers could probably do that soon, right? Computers can do that. <laughs> also, we wouldn't have to analyze the data if we stopped doing stupid shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have to hire like 20 dudes to look at. And you can also see this trend in education as well. I know it's probably a bigger thing in public schools, but hiring educational consultants to yes. take a look at. The count, the districts do that, yeah. yeah. They'll bring in a really highly paid educational consulting company and they will tell you what stuck sucks about stuff. Yeah. I don't think they ever say, hey, pay your teachers more and give your students that more That would free be time. the first. That would be like you number one. Change the schedule, pay our teachers more. Want to start your students... a consulting company? We should do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We we'll should. undercut the competition. We'll charge less. Yes. But we'll always have the same like three solutions. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'll be fine. Our Here next grift. This right. has been a business meeting. Oh, thank you for coming to the business <laughs> meeting. Next one is box tickers Mm -hmm. and box tickers exist to make companies seem legitimate to other (laughs) companies so you have for instance newsletter writers within companies survey administrators corporate compliance officers they exist because many large organizations see paperwork attesting to the fact that certain actions have been taken as more important than the actions themselves great So the box tickers exist to give you more paperwork. Yes. All those forms that I was filling out. I was box ticking shit right there. I was box ticking the (laughs) fuck out. I'm in all of these. I'm trying to wonder like what exactly my bullshit job was. And it's, he does say that it can be a combination. There's probably some overlap. Yeah. Yeah. It could definitely be a combination of like potentially all five. It's very possible. (laughs) I think I was like a, yeah, a a box ticker duct taper kind of guy. Yeah. Next one, he calls them goons. Mm -hmm. So goons are in-house corporate lawyers, is the best example. (laughs) They essentially exist to fight fellow goons who are hired by other companies. A great example of this is that Apple sued Samsung over a patent with a phone with rounded corners... Patent trolls are a classic goon. Lobbyists are a classic goon. So if you have like a top corporate lawyer in your corporation, the other corporation has to hire another Another corporate corporate lawyer lawyer, because they got to be, they got to have a a tougher goon than you do. Telemarketers, PR specialists, all of these people exist because of the idea of competition with other companies. Right. They don't do anything. No, they don't do anything. They don't contribute to the productivity of your organization. They just exist to fight the competition. And they certainly don't make our society better. Oh, no. they Goons are like the best example of people who fucking just exploit and suck. <laughs> yeah. They don't even help you make money. They cost a lot of money. Yeah. But I guess if you're suing people, maybe there's like a potential <laughs> maybe for Maybe you like could make letter. some money yeah. back, I guess. Yeah. But it's just... And, and corporate lawyer is one of the highest paid jobs yeah, in the world. Yeah, absolutely. For a person who just... Scumbags. Just scumbags. Yeah. Just, it's all about being as litigious as possible for mm-hmm. the benefit of no one. Mm-hmm. How much more could you pay your employees if you weren't um, paying a corporate lawyer $10 million? Yep. Well, all right, last one. Last one is just the worst. Taskmasters. Oh, man. So taskmasters watch over and manage people who don't need management. They're essentially, Graeber describes them, an overpaid cheerleader. 
And this is all middle management and most admin, mm-hmm. people who would describe themselves as leadership professionals. <laughs> mm-hmm. These are taskmasters. They exist to make you do work that you would do anyway because that's your fucking job. <laughs> and they also make work for you. Oh, yeah. They'll make shit up. They'll make new stuff for you to do. Yeah, when I was a graduate assistant, which is, I guess, like, it was, you know, half shit job, half bullshit job. I had this manager type lady who could not stand to see graduate assistants not doing work. So she would create the most absurd tasks for me to do. so crazy. One of them, which I'll never forget, was there was a pile of binders that had old labels on them. And she was like, I want you to go through all of the binders and put a new label on top of each binder. We weren't using the binders. She just wanted me to, so I, I got a stack of hundreds yeah. of binders and I would just put like a little label on it. I could have been like so reading crazy. something, doing been my homework. I, I, I just, it, this is the kind of shit that happens all the time. Yeah. Any training that you have to do that's made up, a taskmaster told you to do it. Yeah. Horse yeah. shit. So specific employees can have a combination of one or more of these bullshit jobs. Kind of said that earlier, but the obsession with the 40 hour work week is the thing that compels people to complete absolute bullshit tasks yes so graber was asked in an interview what the most premier bullshit job examples are and he president of the united states of america. <laughs> yeah he mentions corporate lawyers yeah so most corporate lawyers this is david uh david graber's quote most corporate lawyers secretly believe that if there were no longer any corporate lawyers, the world would probably be a better place. Oh my God. The same is true of public relations consultants, telemarketers, brand managers, and countless administrative specialists who are paid to sit around, answer phones, and pretend to mm-hmm. be useful. A lot of bullshit jobs are just manufactured middle management positions with no real utility in the world. But they exist anyway in order to justify the careers of the people performing them. But if they went away tomorrow, it would make no difference at all. Yeah. Graber, all he did for his whole life was facts. Was just tell the truth. (laughs) He was like, I'm just going to tell the truth. The man was a human fact. It's too bad nobody listens. Dude, it's really, really awful. I mean, the thing is... People hear this and acknowledge it, but they find a way to sort of justify their own. Yeah, no, they don't even do that. They just say, well, what else are we going to do? Yeah. As if there's not a million frameworks for something else that we could do. It's just a lack of imagination is is the worst thing. So Graber, of course, didn't just identify jobs to be like, hey, look at how dumb (laughs) these bullshit jobs are. Well, there you go. He did it to imagine another world. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked a lot about the morally corrosive impact of bullshit jobs. This is a quote from Graber. The truth is that a lot of people are being handed a lot of money to do nothing. This is true for most of these middle management positions I'm talking about. And the people doing these jobs are completely unhappy because they know their work is bullshit. I think most people really do want to believe that they're contributing to the world in some way. And if you deny that to them, they go crazy or become quietly miserable, (laughs) Uh, which is what bullshit jobs do ultimately, which goes back to the whole, it's not about laziness thing. It's just that people have not been given the ability to imagine another world and therefore believe that bullshit jobs are the only thing they can do. And it makes people fucking sad. Yeah. It's also interesting when you think about that quote in regards to, I don't want to talk about this too much because Mm -hmm. it gets us highly emotional, but Mm -hmm. if you think about that quote in regards to admin in education and how disconnected they are from the human element of of education Mm -hmm. and how they make decisions that seem like they're just coming from a person who is absolutely miserable and disconnected from the human (laughs) element of education. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yes, exactly. Like, we see it all the time. Yeah. It is really unfortunate that the bullshit job uh, framework is just part of everybody's lives, including us, who chose very explicitly to Mm -hmm. pursue a career that was devoid of bullshit or that we thought was devoid of bullshit. And um, it's... It gets mired down in it. Yeah. And so that we sort of have to contend with the misery of other people's, other people's feelings shit. about their bullshit yeah, job. It yes. sucks. 
Okay, more quotes from Graeber because I think what he said was great. So he was asked if, okay, the interviewer was playing devil's advocate. They were like, well, is it a bad thing that jobs now are more useless and boring, but they're not as dangerous and difficult? Because, you know, fewer people die in the workplace now. Although you could look at the fact that more people die of workplace-related stress now than ever before. But anyway, Graeber says, and he mentions Keynes here, well, you could also just replace them with no jobs. Mm-hmm. Great economic thinkers like Keynes were predicting that technology would advance such that we would achieve a 15-hour work week by century's end. But that didn't happen. Instead, we just kept inventing bullshit jobs. <laughs> but what if we just accepted that technology can perform a lot of the essential tasks and just worked less? What if we just spent more time doing what we actually want rather than sitting in an office pretending to work for 40 hours a week? Yeah. Right? And then when asked if we need to, quote, burn it down and start from scratch, Graeber said this, you can never start from scratch. Mm -hmm. And most successful revolutionaries have deep traditions to draw on. But I do believe we have to start thinking imaginatively about systems that are fundamentally differently organized. Shifts do happen in history. We've been taught for the last 30 to 40 years that imagination has no place in politics or economics. But that, too, is bullshit. Yeah, he's right. God. The guy was good. The graves. Because it's so true, right? I mean, the whole thing, the system that I talked about at the beginning, right? Indoctrinating you into this culture of labor before you're old enough to realize what anything is. That's to make you think that there's no possibility of change. Yeah, you know what bums me out. Speaking of that, mm-hmm. I didn't mention it earlier because you were you had your little monologue there. And yeah, I was, it was really vibing. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what bums me out when I go to Trader Joe's and I see a kid using one of those little shopping carts that they have oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> it's simultaneously like the cutest thing, but then I'm like, yeah. why are they making the kids shop? They <laughs> gotta learn how to do it. <laughs> learn how to have a fucking job, kid. Like, that, it's not the kid's responsibility to shop for the family. No. And, yeah, we see it as just kind of like a cutesy thing for kids to do. But really, you're just teaching them how to be good capitalists. Yeah. yeah Not really capitalists, to. but you're teaching them how to be good, like, workers, essentially. Yeah. You go, you have your little job, your little, like, your little job as a preschooler is to go to daycare. Yeah. So you go, you do your little job, and then you come to Trader Joe's and you buy <laughs> shit for your family. <laughs> Get a job, kid. It's fucked up. <laughs> Yeah, it's or great. when people when I was working in retail and people used to like let their kids pay, mm-hmm. which like I know is an essential skill that we have to learn. But I think that there's like an age to teach that. And I'm not sure under ten mm-hmm. is that age. You know, At, once you hit double digits, then you yeah, can then start. you can start. Yeah, yeah sure. but like under ten, they should not even be thinking about money. Yeah, well, it's it's too. I mean, I'm not saying parents are like, oh, let's no, destroy no, the imagination. No, they're not, yeah. But it's just the whole process But it just rolls that. them into that, you yeah. know. I can't I can't think about anything else because I have to think about being a person in this world who works and has money and whatever else, yeah, you know? that's what it is. So on the topic of laziness, because of course this comes up all the time, right? Graeber says, people are not inherently lazy. We work not just to pay the bills, but because we want to contribute something meaningful to society. Karl Marx also said that, just for everybody out there. The psychological effect of spending our days on tasks we secretly believe don't need to be performed is profoundly damaging. It's a scar across our collective soul. It is. It really is. And when you think about all of the things built into your bullshit job, I'm thinking, of course, about commuting because that's the most obvious example because that is both deleterious to the environment like in a incredible way think about all of the carbon that is burned for you to get to your job Mm -hmm. that you don't really have to be at Mm -hmm. all the stress that that causes you the way that it impacts your relationship and your ability to have free time all of these things are bad but in addition to that you also have like just the the malaise that affects mm-hmm. people. Um, and then I think I am personally feeling it a little bit right now in yeah, my own life. Same. And our job isn't bullshit. No, it's not. But it's just, where's the imagination for our society? But right. But it's impacted, again, by a lot of people who do have bullshit jobs. 
it comes down to the fact that I want to do labor that I find meaningful. Right. And the more you suck the meaningful nature out of labor, the less likely you want to be a participant. Right, which they do by refusing us the opportunity to imagine something better than what it is right now. Mm -hmm. No, you're not allowed to. Because we talk about it all the time and we give our suggestions and we say, hey, we should do this. And then it's met with... Well, no, we're not really ready for that. Mm-hmm. You're never ready. And it's for like, it. so when are you going to be ready then? Yeah, it's the most like liberal thing. If you just keep pushing it off, then we're never going to do anything. Never, and you'll spend your entire life waiting for that time that is right. Right. There's... Instead of just taking a risk. Yeah, take a fucking. That's the risk. other thing. Like the system does not reward risk unless that risk is almost guaranteed to like make capital. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's it. not a risk, really, is it? If it's guaranteed to make capital, it's not really a risk. Mm-hmm. We just, like, hide it under the guise of, this is a risk, because yeah. it's such a big thing to do or whatever, but it's not. Yeah. Okay. So, just a few more things. I have part four. I guess this will be kind of an open discussion for us. <laughs> but I call it creation efficiency labor. Ultimately, Graeber's motivation was to transform our understanding of what work is. Mm-hmm. As a collective. And of course, Fat Guy Jacked Guy is really on board with that because we think that jobs and careers are, for the most part, bullshit yes. um, in the way that they are now. So, Graeber had this idea about creation versus reshaping, which I think is kind of an interesting way to look at the mm-hmm. world. So, he pretty much says that most work can't be said to create anything. Most work is instead a matter of maintaining and rearranging times. Consider a coffee cup. We produce it once, but we wash it a thousand times. Even work we think of as productive, like growing potatoes, forging a shovel, or assembling a computer, could just as easily be seen as tending, transforming, reshaping, and rearranging materials and elements that already exist. I think if we view labor not as a product of production, but as one of reshaping yeah that would transform our understanding of like the work that we actually have to do yeah absolutely but then people would just have to stop yeah you'd have to stop making shit you have to stop making shit because we have enough shit we have we've talked about this so many times i mean it goes back to that tv discussion yeah but we have enough shit to go around nobody needs any more shit and yet we make shit all the time constantly churning out shit It just doesn't make any sense. Nope. And imagine if everyone was taught from an early age, not that they have to go to work to produce produce something. The idea of, oh, did you have a productive day today? Yeah. You know, do you feel productive? What if you were like, I am sort of reshaping, I'm rearranging. Yeah. Changes your conception of things. And it's also, you know... Einstein would agree it makes sense in the the world of physics as well. Because you can't create anything. No. There's no producing. You're just reshaping and transforming. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess also you have to, you know, of course you have to redefine what productivity is. Like productivity is not, you have like something to show at the end of it. But productivity could be, okay, I finished a book today. Mm -hmm. Or I wrote six poems today. Yeah. Or I'm got some progress on a sweater that I'm making today mm-hmm. or I played a game with my friends yeah I like laughed today I laughed like... today yeah this one you I really to... struggle with because I'm like so New England I know, work you really ethic-y. Are. it like yeah. really fucking sucks because you're unlearning it though yeah I'm trying you've gotten a lot better over the last six years that I've known you yeah Thank, thanks brother yeah it's definitely the hardest thing because you've been told that you need to maximize your time yeah absolutely to produce but that is bullshit. Yeah. Well, like my first five summers as a teacher, the week before we had to go back to school, I would fall into like this sadness. Mm-hmm. Not because I was going back to school, but because I was like, did I do enough this summer yeah. with the time that I was given? And it's like, if I just did nothing but sleep and watch TV all summer, that was enough to get ready for the school year. Mm-hmm. But that was not a thing I was thinking of back then, you yeah. know? Back then I was like, did I read enough books? Did I, like, catch up on enough shit? Did I hang out with my friends enough? Did I see people I wanted to see, et cetera, et cetera? I had, like, all these boxes that I wanted to take, and it was like, no, it's okay if you just, like, stay home and do nothing for six weeks if that's 
what you need to do. Yeah, it's the way that work culture has invaded every yeah. aspect of and our lives. And you don't need to manage your time like that at no, all. You don't. You don't need to manage your time in any way that feels uncomfortable to you. And actually, it's it's again, you know, you're you're doing something against the system in a sense. The the more that you do, do something with your time that isn't managed in the same way that you would manage your career. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Last uh, little tidbit I have from Graver is about the perversion of modern work values, which mm, kind of segues yes. into what we're talking about here. He says, our society has reached a point where the social value of work is usually in inverse proportion to its economic value, mm-hmm. meaning that the more one's work benefits others, maybe teachers, the less one is likely to be paid for it. Yeah. And many people have come to accept this situation as morally right. Yeah. Because the value that we place on a job is its economic value, right? right? The amount that you get fucking paid for it. Right. And the thing that's also crazy is that if we, if we place an economic value on a job, we're not just talking about the amount that you get paid for it, but also the output. So corporate lawyers actually, they make more money for the corporation, right? Which is why they're seen as important in mm-hmm. a sense. Where teachers... <laughs> for example, mm-hmm. are not seen as having any like economic impact on our society or on a corporation or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. When really we do. We have huge economic impact sure. on our society and the amount of money that different places are making. The amount of money that different like corporations, but you organizations... But you can't see that, You can't right? see it. Yeah, you can't like quantify it in a real way. So yeah, we're just seen as like altruistic people who care deeply about children mm-hmm. and so we don't need to get paid because we get paid in the love that comes back <laughs> from those children yeah. right that's how people view it yeah of course it's like a volunteer position mm-hmm. if if our society could make teaching a volunteer position it would have oh for sure like it already would have done that yeah. it would only be the moms of students right like wealthy white moms right. absolutely and if you didn't have enough wealthy white moms in your community then you don't then have you schools don't, they don't have schools yeah <laughs> it's true if they, they could have done that, that they would have done yeah. it yeah which is absolutely absurd yep yeah every society is judged you know by the quantity of wealthy white moms that they have available to teach. To a certain degree, it's accurate. I mean, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this whole conversation is something that I think about all the time because I, it impacts everyone. Mm-hmm. This isn't a niche idea. No. This is an idea that if you really take a step back and look at your life you can see how it affects you. If you don't work a bullshit job or you don't think you work a bullshit job, I'm sure you know a person who is very close to you who does. Yeah, yeah. And you can see how it affects you negatively and the people around you. Yep. And just the... If you're a person who believes in efficiency, if you're one of these, like, capitalists who believe in efficiency... Then you should be against this. You should be against shit like this. You should. You should not be okay with everyone having, like, a job that sucks just because a person having a job is the only thing that is valuable. Yeah. You should also be against the idea that shit jobs are paid less. Right. They should be. Like, shit jobs, because of the value that they add to society, should be paid more. Yeah, but ultimately what capitalists think about is the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has nothing to do with actual value. No. No, it's no. about necessitating a very frail system mm-hmm. that is likely to collapse at any yeah. moment. Yeah, and how can, how can the people at the top get the most out? How can they suck the most yeah. out of the bones that mm-hmm. they've created, essentially? Yes, the, the, the marrow they of the, the spirit mar- of the it's workers. True. <laughs> That's what they're doing. It's true. Yeah, it sucks. It does. And, yeah, it's just really, we've set up, Again, you know, I don't, I don't, by saying like, why don't we do this? I'm not pretending that disentangling ourselves from the system is going to be easy. I'm saying, why don't we do this? Because I think people aren't usually encountered with that question. Mm -hmm. You give them the facts and then they're like, yeah, that's true. But when you say, why don't we do this? It's like stumping. It's total, you know, they're stumped by that. They're like, yeah, you know, why? Yeah. It makes them actually think about why we don't do this. And then hopefully it might actually help them imagine something better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's going to be like long and difficult to disentangle ourselves from this. But 
I think it's necessary for our survival, but people just don't want to hear that. Yeah. Any issue that you can imagine has its roots in the fact that labor is so fucked. Yeah. Environmental issues, mental health issues, Mm -hmm. disease, longevity, Mm -hmm. um, just general quality of life. That's what this is about. It's right. not about goofing around about jobs, but it is. But um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's it's such a huge idea because this controls everyone's life. It does. Nobody is free from this. No. Destroy all the corporations. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's that easy. Yeah. It's so easy. It's so easy. But yeah, even like Marx said that you need to have... You need to be a post-industrial society for this kind of right. shit to work. He did. Um, and I agreed. We have the yeah. capabilities, but the fact that we're not imagining a different way is because there are a few people holding on. Yeah. Once again, we have enough stuff mm-hmm. to go around. Yep. We don't need any more stuff. We don't. And if, Actually, in fact, it's need... vital that we stop making yes, stuff. Yes, it is. It's very vital for us for our survival on this planet that we stop making stuff. That's just the baseline thing. But... Also, what we need is more production of, like, things that are meaningful to us. Mm-hmm. You know? We need kind of a, a revitalization of spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, I don't know if we've ever had that. I can't say that we have. But we need something to push us to be more human. And we're not, we are just, like... Turning our backs on that opportunity every single day. Yeah. Every single day. It's true. Because humans are not, <laughs> like, we do not have to be cutthroat and awful and repressive and oppressive. We don't have to be. We know that we don't have to be. But all these systems kind of force us to be in a sense. Or we choose to let the system push us in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it doesn't need to be that way. No, it is really disheartening every time we have these kinds of conversations with our kids, at least with me, yeah. when I have conversations. All of my students intellectually understand yes. the things that need to change. They do. But if you asked them, like, what will you personally do about this? Like, what do you think you could do in your life? They'll be like, no, I'm not, I can't, I'm not going to do yeah, anything. Yeah, they'll say, I can't do anything. Yeah, there's no imagination. There's no possibility for them. They be- they truly believe right now we're in a time where this the generation that we're teaching at this current moment because I've also seen you know, I I taught millennial younger millennials yeah. and now I'm teaching Gen Z. So the I've final seen the difference. Yeah. So I've seen the difference in thought processes. We're teaching a generation now that truly believes that like anything that they could try to do, it won't work. Mm-hmm. So why would they try to do it? Yeah. They don't understand the value of trying to do it even if it won't work, which is like something that you and I do try to teach them all the time. But two teachers in one year mm-hmm. teaching separate students because we teach different ones. Not even like they're co- they're at, they're go- they go to you and then they come to me and it's like I'm reinforcing what you already said. Mm-hmm. But we're teaching two separate groups of students for one year. How can we possibly like... We're not going to get to even, three, even a quarter yeah. of them. We're going to get to like maybe an eighth. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, pretty uh, shitty and disheartening. <laughs> However, this stuff's going to fall However, I'm still going to fucking try. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> the system is going to fall apart one way or the other. You're going to against it, even if it seems like you're never going to win. Are That's we being proactive, I think, is like, you know, are, yeah. are, we could be proactive about making sure the fall of the world and the system isn't so bad and that there's like a safety net. Yeah. But we're not focusing on that. No, we're not. We could be proactive in like creating communities of people who will, who will know what to do and how to react when something like that happens. Mm -hmm. Instead of waiting for the thing to happen and then creating the communities, which yeah, like, okay, the whole Rebecca Solman thing, she's right. Communities do come together in tragedy. Mm -hmm. It's true. But we could be prepared instead of like waiting until the tragedy happens. Yeah, that'd be nice, right? You know? Um, but we're pretty much all uh, that one bullshit job, <laughs> the, uh, the duct taper. We have too much... We're fucking... a society of duct tapers. We are a society of duct tapers, it's true. But also, that's the other thing we didn't mention is that these jobs that we're in, these bullshit jobs that we're in, because we're expected to perform in them, they take away so much time from us being able to do things like creating a safety net. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... Well, we'll leave you with that. (laughs) Waka waka. (laughs) 
hope this has been very inspirational yeah. to you all today. Honestly, I think it's we had a great conversation. We did. You know, I think we sounded pretty smart to we, these dummies. I mean, we are smart. <laughs> That's the problem. That's why we're so miserable. Yeah. <laughs> if only we just had like some garbage box ticker job. If we just were dumber, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, if I was like, if we were like less critical, you know, we. We We'd always both joke be about financial that. analysts. We probably would. We'd be in some job that wasn't good. We'd be in a bullshit job, yeah, for yeah. sure. We wouldn't have met each you other. You would have never left that admin job. Oh yeah, I'd be because like, you could have rode that until you died. For sure, easily. You know? And I, if yeah, if I wasn't critical, I would have been happy. I'd yeah. be like, oh, I got my two weeks a year, which is insane and, to think about. Oh my god, it's it's very <laughs> terrifying. But what the fuck? I don't know. Anyway. Thank you guys uh, for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for being patrons. If you're not a patron, hop on that Patreon. Hop on that Patreon. Patreon.com backslash fatguyjackguy. Three bucks a month. It's uh, in the show notes too. And uh, it's on all our social media. You're just making it so easy for them. We make it so easy for you. <laughs> I am the, I am the, I'm the box sticker of this production. <laughs> so I'm making it easy for our listeners. That's great. Well, Thank you guys for listening. Sitting through bullshit jobs. If you have one, ride that thing till you die. Yeah. Because that's great for you. Yeah. Congratulations on your <laughs> bullshit job. How you doing? <laughs>